Our first reading is from Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 18 to 25. And then we go to Luke chapter 1, from verse 26 to 38. The birth of Jesus Christ. This print is very small. Okay, <laughs> we start again. The birth of Jesus Christ. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And now to Luke chapter 1. The birth of Jesus foretold. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. 
and the angel departed from her. So we've got um, the same story, basically, from two different perspectives there. We've got Joseph's perspective, or Joseph's experience, if you like, and we've got Mary's experience of the birth or the coming, the announcement of the coming birth of Jesus. So it might feel to you like we're heading into Christmas, if you look at the message, but we're not. We're not. Um, we're looking at the Apostles' Creed, and we've been looking at it for the past couple of weeks. Basically understanding that the Apostles' Creed, a credo is, is something we, we kind of use to say, I believe this, uh, and this is what I believe. And we've been looking at what the implications of that might be. If I say, I believe that, if I say, I believe that God is the Father, what does that mean? What might that mean for me? We discovered that it's a real significant thing, the Apostles' Creed. It's not just one of those things that churches sort of have off to the side, that there's actually some real significance in it. It's very respected, it's very authoritative, um, that it's universal, uh, that there is not, you know, I, I grew up in the, in the Reformed churches and, you know, I, I think I probably felt or thought when I was growing up that it was just one of those things that you did in the Reformed Church. You stood up every second, son, third, well, I don't know how many, but every now and then, and you would, you would repeat the creed. Yet, it's not. It's universal. It's used by many, many different churches and denominations. And it actually became a, a concise document, a document that, that helped, or a creed, if you like, that helped us or helped the Christian world understand what is Christian and what is not. Um, and you need that. You need, to, you need to be able to measure that and know that. It was very usable. You know, back in the day when they didn't have iPads and they didn't have, you know, schools and they didn't learn, if, someone, if some young person or someone heard the gospel for the first time, they would be taught this so that if someone asked them, what do you believe, they could say it because they couldn't read it. They would memorize it and they would say, this is what I believe. And so it had to be a pretty accurate statement. It had to make sure it had what was necessary. And I said it was concise. So uh, what I believe is worth looking at. And that's why we're doing that. You know, when I say it's concise, it means that what's in there is only what's necessary. Anything that's not necessary, you know, when you say something concise, you know when you have a, a person that's very concise in what they say? They're very unlike me. They, don't take, they take a few words to say something. Unlike me, I will take a bunch of words to say a bunch of stuff. But someone that's concise will say exactly what's needed and exactly what's right and necessary. And we know that the Apostles' Creed is a concise uh, a statement of what's critically necessary. So we saw that God is the Father, He's Almighty, He's the Creator. It's, un it's very necessary for us to understand that right from the start because this is, this is the author of life itself and we needed to know who He was. And the Creed makes it really clear this is where faith emanates from. Then we hear about Jesus, that he's Christ, so he's divine. And he comes from a loving God and he's our Lord. And I think we talked about that last week, didn't we? That lordship is, is something that, oh, okay, so this is really important to know. And now we're looking at the next line, conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. It's in there 
So it must be important, right? So it's got to be important. And it is. Because it's a pillar of the gospel. And if we don't understand that, if we don't do uh, a little bit of work to figure out what that means without just, just, instead of just rattling it off, we don't understand the full gospel. Now again, there is so much here. Um, just even in this line there, there's so much there and um, this one takes work uh, lots of reading and that sort of stuff and it's not something that uh, you can do in a message because we want to understand what God's saying and, and we want to be encouraged by that but I'm going to try to help us see a glimpse of how key these few words are conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary You see, you and I are beneficiaries of the gospel message and of salvation. And this line, these few words, show us how complete and how magnificent the gift is. So stay with me and we'll see how this works. Basically, you could grab these two things, um, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. You'd collect them in the concept or the term that we all know, which many people talk about, called the virgin birth. Basically, that would be uh, what would th- those those two things would be collected into, and it's possibly one of the most hotly contested truths of the gospel through the ages. There's many times when this virgin birth, this idea of the virgin birth, was contested uh, throughout um, history and times, but even in today, and even in the church. It's really interesting. We'll see a little bit later on. It's a critical part of the doctrine of salvation. Incredibly critical. And yet it's one of these things that's contested even in the modern church and has been, done, has been in the churches through the ages. But the term virgin birth says a lot, doesn't it? It's crucial because what we're saying clearly here what we believe about the coming and the birth of Christ. See, as Christians, we make a claim for Jesus that can't be made for any other person. When we were saying, I believe this, we're making a claim that can't be said for any other person. Jesus' life didn't begin with his birth or even with his conception. Unlike every other human whose beginning can be traced to a specific moment, we're saying that the life of Jesus had no beginning because he's eternal. He existed forever with God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, So when we say that I believe that he is conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, it's an utterly supernatural claim that can't be made about anybody else in history. And you begin to to see how we separate ourselves from normal thinking in this, or the world would say. And we're saying that the only a virgin birth fulfills the requirements for our salvation. Our salvation is that that broken relationship with the Father that was caused by sin. And so summarized, we're saying, he, if I believe that he must be a man, an angel couldn't die for our sins. He must truly share humanity. Second, he must be an infinite man. A mortal or a mere mortal couldn't bear the infinite price, the weight of the sin that have to be paid for our sins. And the third thing, he, has to, he needs to be an innocent man. He needs to be a man, but he needs to be an innocent one. A sinner can't die for the sin of others. And only a virgin birth guarantees that Jesus fulfills all these three conditions. Because he's born of Mary, he's fully human. He's conceived by the Holy Spirit, so he's fully God. Because he's born holy, he's sinless 
So he's qualified to be our saviour. You know, we started with Jesus, who he is, and that was saying how he came. How did this Jesus come in and how important it is? So that might be a little bit dry and you might sort of say, well, why um, should we or, 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 or why or how can we believe this? You might even think, so what? You wouldn't say that out loud in church, though, would you? But you might even think, yeah, you know, look, even if you've thought about this a lot, the virgin birth, and we hear the story like I intimated just before Christmas or coming up to Christmas, even if you've thought about it a lot, we know we believe it because we hear about it every December. So we kind of just take it for granted that we believe it. So then it's easy to put a sermon like this in the category of, well, nice, but it doesn't really matter. That would be a huge mistake. Why would that be a mistake? Well, simply, it's taught in the Bible. And believers believe in the Bible. That's where we tap into what we understand. That's where God reveals himself and, and all his work to us. So because it's taught in the Bible, it's really important. It does matter. And specifically, it's taught clearly in the two readings that, that we read today. And biblical authority matters, doesn't it? When I did the first message a few weeks back, Apostles' Creed is echoed solidly in the word. Like biblical authority really matters for us that follow Jesus. But right here's where we run into some common objections. Remember I said it was hotly contested, even amongst some Christians? For example, some will say, well, it's in Matthew and it's in Luke, the two readings we had. But nowhere else is it explicit in the New Testament that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. So Matthew and Luke might have just made that up. They might have colluded and, and made it up. Now, it, it's true, it's not explicit anywhere else. But Paul says things about Jesus in ways that led on that he knows that Jesus' birth was miraculous, that he knows that it was the virgin birth, that he knows the Holy Spirit was who conceived Jesus. But then think about this. If you say, because the virgin birth isn't directly or explicitly talked about anywhere else in the New Testament, except for Matthew and Luke, so we're not going to believe it, and this is actually... Then you're going to have to not believe a whole lot more than that. Because Jesus' birth narratives aren't talked about anywhere else in the New Testament but Matthew 1 and Luke 1. So if you're not going to believe the virgin birth because it's only found there, then you're not going to believe that Jesus was born because it's only found there. The whole Christmas story, that's gone. We might as well just have a normal service on Christmas Day. All of these things are found in Matthew, Mark, Matthew 1 and Luke 1. And it makes no sense that you would throw it out because they're not told in detail anywhere else. It makes perfect sense, however... But the virgin birth is mentioned in these two because this is where the birth narratives appear of Jesus. Then, some say the story, and this is true in some of the American churches and also in some European churches as well. Some say the story was made up or sensationalised a little bit. You know how you write something and you make it just a little better, a little bit of a grabber, you know, it's like that'll, that'll work for Netflix you know, we'll get that, you know, you make it a little bit. So it's been a bit sensationalised. It's, it's kind of, try, they've tried to make it, you know, fantastic so that the church would 
I don't know. But you'd tell the story a whole lot more dignified if that were true, if you were trying to make it sort of wonderful and sensational, wouldn't you? And it isn't. The announcement to Mary that she's pregnant doesn't leave her safe. It says that she's troubled. She's perplexed. She's worried. When you go into the original Greek and you, and you read the story, you read the round, you read the words, and you get this troubled young woman. Did you notice that? An angel shows up at your doorstep. You're 13. 13. Okay, we've, we've moved a little bit since those times. You're 13. You're single. God, he'll be worshipped. He's the Messiah and he'll reign forever. And you can imagine Mary saying, wait, what? I'm pregnant? Mary's going, but I'm not married. There's no way I can have... This can't happen. I can't... No, this can't happen. If that was me... Okay, I can't. And an angel just told me that my kid was going to be God. and I'd be, I'd be getting on Facebook telling me, hey, my kid's going to be king of the world. You know, I'd be wanting to tell everybody. But she's not. It's not a magnificent story because she's troubled. She's... Wait, this can't happen. And then we go to Joseph's the account... And Joseph, what's his first reaction? Better divorce her. Um, oh man, she cheated on me. Can you imagine? I mean, he's not aware that there's things like immaculate conception. He just knows the woman that he loves or that he's betrothed to marry to got pregnant. So what has she been up to? I can't trust her anymore. And bad stuff happened. In those days, if that got public, bad stuff happened. And he didn't want that. So he decided, I'm just going to break it off quietly and divorce her because I can't trust her anymore. I don't want to embarrass her. The way that the story is recorded is not the way it would be recorded if you were trying to tell a great and noble story. So it's real. And it's important for us to know that. And there are other objections. And, and you know, there's people talk about misinformation interpretations of the word virgin, inconsistencies, etc. Interesting to read about if you're interested, but we don't have time in a sermon like that. What Matthew and Luke tell us when we think about conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, is that Jesus entered the world in a supernatural way through a mighty miracle of God. You know, and these same writers, Matthew and Luke, Tell us that Jesus' earthly life came to a climax with another miracle, didn't it? His resurrection from the dead. So these same writers that talk about this miracle of immaculate conception, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, they're the same people that tell us this child grew and died for our sins and was risen again. So if you can't believe the first miracle, how can you believe the last miracle? How can we hang on to that? If you get suspicious about the virgin birth, what are you going to do with the other miracle of the gospel? If you doubt the virgin birth, how can you be certain about the resurrection? You see, the Bible doesn't <clears throat> present the life of Christ as a kind of picky miracle off the shelf of a supermarket or something like that. You can pick this one and you can reject that one. The story of Jesus' earthly life comes to us as a seamless whole. Right from the start, right from where he was just announced where he wasn't even there yet. We either take it all or reject it. There's no middle ground. So the question becomes, is biblical authority enough? Do we believe the Bible or don't we? 
I believe that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. I believe that that's what the Bible teaches. Mel Gibson once said in an interview with, um, I forget the name of the lady, when he was asked if he really believed every word of the Bible was true. There was a bit of incredulous, you know, really? You know, the American press would, really? Do you think every word of the Bible is true? He answered with an immediate and unequivocal yes. He said he believes every word of the Bible. Then he added, you have to believe it all. Either you believe it all or you believe none of it. That's true, isn't it? And there are other reasons why it's probably hotly contested in the church. And sometimes even in our own life, you know, when you sit and ponder it and you think about it. You know, why might that be? There's this sense of, you know... I needed to be saved by someone divine that, that I couldn't, this sense of independence in me doesn't want to rely on uh, someone that was you know, conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin. I don't want to surrender to that. Or maybe there's a bit of embarrassment. We don't want to say that out loud because it makes us sound a little bit weird. You know, my Saviour Jesus, Holy Spirit impregnated Mary. Right. How does that sound? It's a bit uncomfortable. And when we talk about miracles, it makes us just a little bit unbelievable. We want the church to fit society. We want to lower the bar, don't we, if we like. We, we want to have a more explainable or a more palatable way to explain who our Jesus is. And so some of these things can be a little bit uncomfortable at times. And, you know, when you sort of say, someone says, well, how can that be? Have you ever done that? I've done this. Have you ever sort of said, oh, yeah, it's... Um, I'm, yeah, it's one of those mysteries of the Bible. Anyone ever done that? But that feels so lame, doesn't it? That's a mystery that we can't explain. Right, okay. This we, we skip over them. We don't want to make them. We don't own them. We don't want to understand the, the impact and the importance they have because it's hard. And even in the church, we have tried to make Jesus and salvation and faith more reachable attainable when and instead of aspiring to be like jesus we want to present it isn't it's magnificence it's a miracle but it's not just important for biblical authority that's just one thing the veracity the the truth of our salvation depends on this miracle this one conceived by the holy spirit and born of a virgin this supernatural vehicle uh, miracle is it surprising that God would use a miracle to bring the miracle into the world? Let me say that again, if you didn't get it. Is it surprising that God would use a miracle to bring the miracle into the world? The virgin birth explains how Jesus could be divine and human and sinless all at the same time. And that's what we have to have in order to be saved. Right? Praise God. We, we needed a divine saviour. We needed a human saviour. We needed a sinless saviour in order to be saved. One human can't save us all. One really good human can't save us. There are we need the infinite weight and glory and majesty of the person of God to forgive our sins. So our saviour needs to be divine. And that's only possible if he's conceived by the Holy Spirit. There is no earthly father. 
but he needs to be human too because we're human. We need someone like us with our flesh, with our sin, with our, with our infirmities and, and pain and, and walking through the world in order to have a mediator who can sympathize with us. And that's who we have. You see, Jesus was fully human. He experienced stress. Do you experience stress? So did he. So he knows. He experienced anger. Have you ever been angry? So was Jesus. He can identify with us. He experienced pain. I'm not going to say if you ever experienced pain because I'm sure you have. But so did Jesus. He experienced rejection. Have you ever experienced rejection? Yeah, many of us have. And we know what that's like. But so does Jesus. We needed this human, born of the Virgin Mary, to be human so that he would know what it feels like to be rejected. And he would be able to say, that's okay. Come to me. He experienced hurt. His mates weren't always good to him. His friends didn't always write nice and always get lovely text messages. They didn't always reply when he sent his messages. You know how people don't do that? I hate that. He experienced hunger, loneliness. Anyone ever experienced that? He knows what it's like to be lonely. And he says, you know, come to me. But he also experienced social into the 12 that he hung out with or talking to people. And of course, the stories we get, we don't see his whole life, what social interaction was a part of his life. So he knows what that's like. He knows what it likes to have desires, to be in relationship, to love. I could go on, couldn't I? Jesus was fully human. And that's really important to know because I can come to this Jesus. Salvation from him because I know that he knows me. <clears throat> Hang on. <coughs> oh. Only a real human could identify with us. It's okay having, you know, um, someone divine come and sweep in. And we need a divinity, we saw that. But isn't it comforting to know that someone who knew humanity, who knew us, was able to take our place? But we needed a sinless human. We can't have a human who's in the same predicament as us. That would be like you're in the quicksand and someone jumps in the quicksand to rescue you. You know what happens then, don't you? No one gets rescued. Someone outside to rescue us who's not in the same fix as we are. And the virgin birth is a mighty shout to us all of how we have a divine, human and sinless saviour all at once. That line in the Apostles' Creed is so important. I believe he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and he was born of the Virgin Mary. Oh, thank God. It's important for our understanding of salvation. So it needs to be part of our confession. Jesus Christ entered the world guiltless of sin. He became the beginning of the new humanity, the restoration of the human race, you and I. Because he's born of Mary, he's truly human. Because he's conceived by the Holy Spirit, he's free from all that inherited guilt that came with humanity from Adam. So he's able to stand in our place, taking my guilt, your guilt, my shame, your shame, my punishment, our punishment. He could pay for our sins because he had no sin and no guilt of his own. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 2, we all know that. 
this line, He who knew no sin became sin for us, so that we might receive... Anyone know? The righteousness. I'm made righteous because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. That's how I received it. Because he knew no sin and he was divine. Right at the point of our weakness, Christ was strong. Where <clears throat> He succeeded where Adam and all of Adam's descendants, right up to me, failed. We were so helpless that we couldn't do anything to save ourselves. The virgin birth teaches us that our salvation is entirely supernatural and the world might not understand that and we might feel uncomfortable trying to explain that, but that's what the virgin birth tells us. <clears throat> when God wanted to save the world, he took the initiative to send his son. We couldn't have initiated that process. The virgin birth teaches us that salvation is entirely by grace. Entirely something God says, this is what I want to do because I love my children. And he said, I'll do it all because we couldn't do any. But maybe most importantly, <clears throat> the virgin birth is how God fulfills his covenant promise. Remember the covenant promise? Do you remember what the words were when he first made his covenant promise to, the, to his children in the desert? He said, I will be your God and you will be my people. Look, we can get interaction not just in the worship. You can do it in the message as well too. I might not have colours, but I'll be your God and you'll be my people. That was the, initial, that was the, that, that was the phrase used to summarise all the hopes of the people of God. And over and over we hear this hope expressed by God's people through history. Looking forward to the day that I will be your God and you will be my people will finally be realized. And God will really be with us through the ages. They, they ached for that. And it was. It is. The message of the angel to Mary was, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, the covenant, boom. God is with us. That's how God fulfilled his covenant. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. I am going to be with you. I promised it way before. God is with us because he's with us in Christ. By becoming man in Christ, God is with us. God did it to fulfill what he promised and to fulfill what he assured Israel that he was going to do. I'll be your God and you'll be my people. Can you imagine the first Jews who heard Matthew read to them? Us. Can you imagine the first Jews who heard the Gospel of John? When John said, the word, of, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Back in their minds, they would go to the Exodus. They would remember the desire that, that God would be in their midst. They'd remember the whole tabernacle where that was where God lived. They'd go back to all the things they had to do, the preventatives to, to, in order for the people of God. And then they hear announced that in this man, Jesus Christ, God has done it. He's done it. Emmanuel, he's with us. He moved right into their midst, right into their fellowship. He's right in our fellowship today. We don't have to build a tent or a, a tabernacle or a, an ark He's right with us. We see Jesus Christ. We're seeing the promise of God 
with us. When we think, I believe, when we say, I believe that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and he was born of the Virgin Mary, that's the beginning of God with us. We're seeing the promise of God with us. We see him initiating and acting on our behalf for our salvation right here, right now. And one day, he'll take all his people to be with him forever. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. We are his people, not only Emmanuel with us, he's both. He is both those things. He's not only our God and we're his people. He's not only Emmanuel, he's both. But he's the one that said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Emmanuel doesn't go away. God with us doesn't go away. He stays with us. And I will take you home was the message of the gospel. I have given my life for you. Because I could. I'm divine and I'm here. I know what it's like. I've given my life for you and the goal is I'm going to take you home. Fully God, fully divine. That's the power to rescue us. That's the power I needed to rescue me. Yet he was fully man, able to take my place. How complete, how miraculous and how amazing are the plans of God. He loves us so completely that he thought of every detail, that this detail, this line, these few lines was really important. He thought of everything. This needs to be in here. This needs to be known. This needs to be the truth. Without that, it can't happen in order to bring us home. That's the gospel. That's the good news. One of truth and one of great, magnificent love. And like I said last week again, why on earth would I not surrender to this Saviour? Why on earth would I not give my life to this Saviour? Why would you not? That God himself would come and be like us. We're going to stand and we're going to confess the creed again. And so stand with me and we're going to make the statement that this is what we believe. And as this grows, you know, we've done the first, first few lines. As this grows, I pr my prayer is, and it's true for me, and my hope is that when you start saying it, it actually means a little bit more than it used to if you've ever said it before. That you say, oh yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's what I believe. So let's do that and then I'll pray and then we're going to close with a song today. So I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. <clears throat> I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, life everlasting. Amen. God, we want to thank you for this truth. The truth of the Apostles' Creed. But today, Lord, we want to be thankful 
that you've reminded us that, that, that you took care of every minute detail, that you knew that to save us, it needed you to step in, divinity to be part of that. But Lord, thank you that you also knew that it was necessary that whoever took our place needed to be able to identify with us, yet be without sin. And I guess, and I know, God, that that's a huge commitment from you, for me, and for us. But your word tells me you were so willing to make that commitment and to do that. And I'm grateful. Lord, we're so grateful for the things that you, that you remind us of, the way that you teach us. We're so grateful that your word is rich with truth. But it's not rich with truth for no reason. It's rich with truth because you love us so much. And that's a love letter to us, hearts and minds. Holy Spirit, continue to show us how to own what you share with us, how to own what you show us, how to, uh, own, to, to take on the love that you give us and to show the world what it means to belong to you.